Hi, my name is Lisa Hunt, and this is how I create. Welcome to This Is How We Create, a show that digs deeper into the creative life of contemporary artists of color. Discover what feeds their creativity and how they've found or are finding their artistic voice. Through these intimate and candid conversations, you'll gain insights into the lives of creative professionals of color that are hard to find anywhere else. Welcome back to This Is How We Create. My name is Martine Severin, your host. I'm so excited to welcome graphic artist Lisa Hunt to the show. Lisa has had a wide-ranging career as a creative, from doing work as a graphic designer to becoming a magazine editor or creative director at Essence Magazine. She credits her aunts and her mom in sparking her interest in art and in creating. In art school, she sharpened her interest and while there took a screen printing class as an elective. Lisa says that during that time in her life, she allowed herself to stumble and define what she was interested in. Later, that screen printing class would influence the work she would do today as an artist. Boy, did I love hearing about Lisa's life and about why she made the decisions she made to get to where she is today. I could have talked to her for ages, and I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Enjoy the show. This is Martine Severin, and welcome back to This Is How We Create. Today, my guest is Lisa Hunt, who is a Maplewood, New Jersey-based artist and designer. Her screen-printed and collaged works on paper and panel explore the spatial and meditative relationships found within repeat patterns. Through the use of graphic shapes and symbols, Hunt's work draws inspiration from a broad range of influences, including West African textiles, African-American quilt making, typography, and the Art Deco movement. Hunt's work draws a connection to adornment throughout history while commenting on contemporary materialism and value by accenting her primarily neutral palette with gold leaf. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's it's such a pleasure to be talking to you, Martine. When we were chatting, I was saying how I've been following your career for years. The earliest I, I could think of being actively following your career has been since, I think, 2016 or so. So it's been a while. The stalking wow, has yeah. been. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, the people you admire from afar, you never really think that you're going to talk to them. So I'm pleased that this is happening. I am so, so flattered. Thank you, Martine. I wanted to start out in your childhood to ask you about what you were like as a child and what originally sparked your interest in art and in creating. I was a really, really shy child. My father was in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot. And so that meant that my sisters and I had to constantly kind of reintroduce ourselves to neighbors, classmates. And I know in school, especially being the new person, when maybe the school year had already started and not knowing anybody. So being constantly put in that situation, it it, it made me very shy. <laughs> I, I think that that shyness carried through to my adulthood in different ways. At this point, I can be, I think I've heard it described as a extroverted invert, meaning like, you know, when I go out and I'm in my work setting, I can be there, I can be charming and 
presence and laughing and all those things. But I think it's my nature to be a little bit more quiet, reserved, kind of pulled back, observing. And that definitely comes from my childhood. In terms of earliest memories of creativity and thinking about art or knowing even what art was, definitely came from the women in my life. My mother, most especially, was, you know, I guess I'd call her an amateur artist. So she was always painting, sewing, crocheting, knitting, just making in general. And we were very close. I remember her working with my sisters and I to like make Christmas decorations by hand with felt. And as I got older, I would basically, we were like partners in crime. (laughs) And like I said, she was always showing me something, something new, a, a new way of making. And I remember at one point we both had a, a sewing machine. I think she had bought a new one, so I had her old singer. And we went to the fabric store and we picked out fabrics to make these sundresses. We were so excited that we went home. I think it was maybe afternoon when we started and we didn't finish until the wee hours of the night making these dresses. And we were so excited. We kept saying, okay, let's go to sleep. Let's go. No, 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 no. just one more thing. Let me get the pockets in. It's just one of my fondest memories. And we both had these really beautiful sundresses that we made together. So my mother was a huge, huge influence on me and my creativity. And she encouraged it. She said it was something that she enjoyed herself. So it was something that we shared. And then her aunt, Aunt Edna, she, she lived in Boston, which is where my mother is originally from. When we were little, we would see her occasionally, maybe on holidays or something. But whenever I would see her, she she was an illustrator. Again, not as something she did to make a living, but something that she did just on the side. But it was very much a, a big part of her and her, her, I just remember, I have great memories of her also encouraging me to draw, paint, or whatever. Just just really encouraging me to be creative in different ways. She was such, such a, a beautiful woman. And I just was so taken by her. And everything that she touched was just just beautiful. Her apartment, I remember her apartment, she and my other aunts lived in this brownstone in in Roxbury, Massachusetts. And like each floor was a different aunt or cousin. It was a family occupied building. So you could go the back back stairs and go into the check out Aunt Kay. You could go and check out Aunt Edna. Downstairs was Aunt Muriel with my grandfather. So it was it was a, it was a really special place. My Aunt Edna's apartment was just filled with just beauty from the time you went into the kitchen. The time you went to the front where she had her her living room and she had set up a room in her apartment as, as an art studio. And she had, I mean, just colored pencils and markers and paper. And she had these little sketches and drawings and paintings always kind of in progress. And it was just a magical place. And she she definitely was someone that I really admired and looked up to and definitely influenced me as a creative person, because of all those things, all those influences in my personal life. When I was in school, I I excelled at art and art classes and making and being such a shy person. I think that having some successes in, in art at school allowed me to kind of express my personality where I didn't have that. I probably just would have never spoken <laughs> or never connected to other students and stuff like that. So you know, my creativity has always been an important part of my life, for sure. Well, you and I have a few things in common. One, I literally was thinking last night about when is it too young to introduce my son to sewing? Because I, every kid at least 
you went the way I learned is you made pajama pants. <laughs> yes. So I'm thinking because it's getting a little bit colder out, it might be a good idea to go get some flannel fabric and make pajama pants. He's that would be great. Oh, that's yeah. not too early. Is that how, how old were you? Do you remember when you first learned? I probably definitely watching her. So probably was like from like five, six and seven around there. And then actually sewing on the sewing machine, I, I would probably was maybe like 10 or 11. But before we even got to the sewing machine, like I said, she taught me how to crochet. And oh, I would, I would hand sew dresses for my dolls. I would fix their bonnets or whatever, you know. I'd say introduce as, as soon as they're ready. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So it sounds like you've always, you've always worked with your hands and your eyes. So from what I read, you studied graphic design at Pratt? Yes, I did. I, from, I'd say probably like around early teenage years, I was just kind of, I read a lot. You know, like I said, I was really shy and quiet. So I would spend a lot of time by myself reading and I loved to read and I would read whatever books my parents had in the house and they had a Reader's Digest subscription, (laughs) dating myself a little bit, but so they would get books, you would get books in the mail. So I would read those and I would, at a certain point, I, I would get an allowance and I would go to the mall on the weekends every week and I would go to the bookstore and you can get these dollar books that you could probably read in like a day. <laughs> and so I would do that every week and I would go back to my room and I just like would just immerse myself in reading. I really, that was really, really a big deal for me. As I got a little bit older, magazines entered into that world. Seventeen magazine, I remember Mademoiselle. I don't think I was reading Vogue. I remember interview my sister who was really cool. My older sister, she had interview magazine and paper magazine. And I just was fascinated with magazines and I loved the photographs. I loved the type. I loved all the little graphic ways that the magazine would, would, would deliver the information. I knew that I wanted to work in magazines. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I would be doing in magazines, but I was just they were such a big influence on me from my early teenage years. And I just knew that I wanted to be a part of making them. And so I, in high school, in my junior year, we were given the opportunity to take classes off campus at a technical school. That's what it was called, T.H. T.H. Pickens Technical School. <laughs> and they had everything from engineering, car mechanics, learning how to you know, fix cars or farming. Cause again, it was Colorado farming machinery. They had, I think some agriculture classes, but they also had this class called communication design. I don't even know how I found out about it, but I did. And I thought, okay, you know, I've been taking art classes all throughout high school and, you know, certainly in elementary school. And this seemed like a different type of class. And it was about typography and layout. And I was like, okay, that sounds like something I want to do. I took that class for two years. It was off campus. So I had to drive myself there. It was like two hours a day. I had this great teacher. I don't remember his name, unfortunately. He, I think, had lived in New York at one point and was like a what we now call graphic design, but back then it was communication design. So he had all these great stories about working in a newspaper. And again, this is a long time ago. So this is like 1984. 
way, 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 way before computers entered into publishing or design. So we learned how to set type on a photo typepositor thing. And it was like this whole photo emulsion process and you had to set each you know piece of type or or, or or text individually and we learned about layout and design and it was great and it really was the precursor for me going to Pratt because I actually took the work that I created in that class and used some of it in my first portfolio as I applied for different art schools. So I applied to Pratt, I applied to Maryland Institute College of Art and Parsons. And I got into each one. Pratt actually offered the most scholarship money, financial aid. So that was that was <laughs> that was gonna be it. Also too, Pratt had a campus and that was really important because I was coming from out of state. So those all those things kind of came together and I went to I went to Pratt Institute and I studied graphic design and I was like I'm gonna work in magazine. That's that's pretty much what I did. That's what I ended up doing. Gosh what a story. Uh, it's it's amazing to me because we can never, we can't tell how people will influence us. I mean, you just learned about this class and you took it and it probably changed the course of your life. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I'm curious. So you went to Pratt and in some of the research I've done, by the way, I'm so pleased we're doing this interview because in the research I've done on you, you haven't told these stories. So I'm kind of... <laughs> oh, good. So I'm pleased. It's something you... I always look to get something new out of my guests. So I'd love to hear the story, how you went from Pratt to working at Essence. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a long journey. But so yeah, I went to Pratt and I... Putting myself through school financially. So... I was working from day one on going to classes. I had a work-study assignment, and I also worked off campus when I could, and then also had classes. So it was a lot. It was a lot, probably too much, and I, I wouldn't recommend anyone do that if they don't have to, but I did. I went to Pratt for the first two years consecutively. So the end of my sophomore year, I was I was running out of money, and so I had to make a tough choice to either leave completely just quit or to go and work for a year and get myself back. And everybody was like, don't do that. If you leave, you were, you will never, never come back. <laughs> you know, most people, most students that leave don't return, but I, I was really determined. And so I moved, I moved to, to Boston, Cambridge specifically, lived with my sister for a while and then got my own apartment in Somerville. And I was like, okay, I'm going to work for a year. I'm going to save my money and get myself back to Pratt. I got a job at a bank, Cambridgeport Savings Bank. I was a finance clerk. And I don't know how I got this job because I had no finance background, but I got it. And so every day I was the person who would take all the receipts, all of the information from every branch. And I had to balance each one of them. So I had to get all the transactions to zero. And I loved it. It was like, it was so different from anything I had ever done. But what I loved about it was, you know, with numbers, it's, 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 there's a, yet there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. You know, two plus two is always four. And so unlike, you know, being creative in different ways, there's all kinds of ways you can solve it, problems or, you know, approach a painting or a drawing or whatever. So for that year, I did that. I saved my money and I actually went back to Pratt and continued the program, the graphic design program. 
got to my my senior year and it was like the the final semester and again I was broke I was out of money again I had been working and I was just really exhausted and so I had to make another tough decision on leave and try to come back or leave and start working or you know just it, it was it was a really really uh difficult decision for me to make but I didn't have any more money and I was tired of working and going to school it was very difficult so I made the tough decision to I was like you know what I'm just gonna start working I'm gonna put myself out there I'm gonna you know take the work that I've done so far in school and and you know put a portfolio together and see what happens and so I did and I freelanced I literally had so many small freelance jobs that I can't remember them sometimes. Sometimes like, oh yeah, I remember I worked in Midtown in this this building and it was like this me and this guy and I was, I don't even know what I was, I was like putting together these like little ads for the news. I, it was, you know, I did whatever I, whatever I could and it was such a great learning experience. And, you know, at the time I was this, this black woman, I had a nose ring, I had the beginning of dreadlocks, which again, this is before dreadlocks became an accepted popular hairstyle. My name being Lisa Hunt, I think when most people see it written, they're not assuming that I'm going to walk through the door. So, you know, that happened a lot. I would, you know, this is back when you would answer a help wanted ad through, again, like the newspaper. I would go to these these random kind of like office offices in Midtown and I'd walk in this young skinny, shy black girl with this hair and this thing in my nose and my little portfolio. And I had spoken to them on the phone and I'd walk in and I'm like, you know, I'm here. And they'd be like, well, who are you? I'm Lisa, Lisa Hunt. Oh, oh, okay. You know, I got a lot of that. <laughs> and, but, you know, I, I I got some jobs and I that's how I pretty much started my career. I, I did for a while think that I was going to be able to return to Pratt and finish that last semester, but I never did. I never did. And for a long time, I think for the first 10 years after leaving Pratt, it was just this this like thorn on my side. And it was something that I was embarrassed and a little bit ashamed of, you know, I felt like I hadn't completed something that was so important to me. And I wasn't sure if how it was going to affect my career, you know, to have my resume, like, how do you put it on your resume that, you know, I had gone three and a half years, basically, and one semester shy of, of you know, graduating. Uh, yeah, I was just really insecure about that, but it didn't stop me from working and getting jobs and whoever would take me, I would do it and got a lot of really good experience, worked at design firms. I worked in music for a while, doing packaging for CDs. I actually freelanced at Playboy magazine and in the marketing department. So I was doing all these marketing sell sheets to sell advertising in Playboy magazine. And I remember telling people I was working at Playboy and they were like, oh, you know, especially the, 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 the guys I would meet, they're like, oh, can I come and visit? You know, can I come up to the office and, and meet you for lunch? Because they were, they thought there'd be bunnies walking around. But I always knew I wanted to, to get to magazines. So that was always in the back of my mind. Didn't know how I was going to do it. The first magazine I first job I got in publishing was at New York Magazine, and it was in the marketing department. Up until that point, I had done a lot of marketing. So I had a lot of marketing materials in my portfolio. And I thought, okay, I'll get in there on the marketing side, and then somehow I'm going to jump over to the editorial side. That did not happen, but it was a great job. At that time, a friend of a friend told me 
that they knew of somebody, this woman, her name is Fo Wilson, who had her own design firm down in Tribeca, and she was looking for a designer. It was called Studio W. She was one of the only, if not the only, Black women at that time in publishing who had really made a, a significant impact on the industry. She was award-winning, and <laughs> I got my portfolio together, and I sent it to her, and I was like, you know, I felt it was kind of a Hail Mary. I didn't know she was going to be responsive to my portfolio because I didn't have any magazine publishing. But she owned Studio W, and Studio W at that time designed some public publications for BET. They designed this magazine called YSB, which was hugely popular back then. And they won a lot of design awards for art direction, photography, et cetera. So I got the job and I was her number two in the studio. It was me, another designer named Anissa Smith. We had a studio manager, Mary, and it was us. And, and we we did BET. I forgot the name of the magazine. It was like a supplement in newspapers, but we did that. And we also designed Heart and Soul magazine. We did the initial design, art direction, creative direction for Heart and Soul, which was a magazine for Black women. It was The focus was health and fitness. So that was a brand new category for, for mag, Black women in magazines. So that was, that was pretty great. It was owned by Rodell Publishing, which is no longer. <laughs> I worked for them. So, Eventually left, decided to close up Studio W, and so I went full-time on staff at Heart and Soul Magazine as the art director and worked with Stephanie Stokes Oliver, who is amazing. She was the editor-in-chief. It was a great small group of, of women putting this magazine together, working for this major publisher. They, uh, Rodell, sold the magazine very unceremoniously. So this was a surprise to you? Yeah. You didn't see all of us, the editor-in-chief, all of us. So there was a there was a moment where I was like, wow, what am I going to do? Excuse me. And it was actually bought by BET. And BET was based, was based in D.C. at the time. And, you know, we were in New York. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of conversation about kind of relocating the staff. So I think the, the idea was to just find new staff in D.C. So there was this, I was kind of unemployed and I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? I decided to take some time and I went, very long story short, I went and lived in Amsterdam for the summer with a friend. She was a former coworker. She was an editor at, at Heart and Soul. Her name is Tara. Tara. We went and we, we rented this, this apartment in Amsterdam and lived there for the summer. And I loved Amsterdam and I thought that I would move there and, you know, just be a graphic designer there, work in magazines there. And again, long story short, that didn't happen. And I came <laughs> back to New York and started freelancing. I had my own design company based out of my apartment for a while. And I had a client, 651 Arts, down in downtown Brooklyn. Eventually, I started working for this small publication in the city called Spa Finder Magazine. And it was a magazine focused on spas around the world. They were looking for an art director. I went for it. I got the job. And re- literally, it was me and the editor-in-chief. We had no staff, no nothing. So <laughs> I was there for a couple years. And I brought in a photo editor. I brought in, I hired some designers and kind of created like a little art department and did that for a while. And then the creative director from Essence, Jan D. Chabert at the time, she would reach out to me. She's like, hey, Lisa, you know, I'm familiar with your work. 
And I'm wondering if you're looking for a job. We'd love to have you come work at Essence. I can't, no, no, yeah. He's like, no, I don't think so. I want to kind of like stay at Spa Finder and just wasn't sure if that was the next place I wanted to go. And again, long story short, I ended up at Essence <laughs> and working with Jan, her team, and I was freelancing. So I was freelancing for a while and she kept saying, you know, you should, you should come on staff full time. Ended up doing that. I worked on the home section, which I loved. I loved everything about art directing and designing photography for food. We did, we did recipes. We did interior design stories. And I just loved it. Did that for a while. Essence was then bought by Time Inc., which no longer exists, which is kind of crazy. So we were folded into the timing family. We moved into the timing buildings in Midtown. I was there for a few more years there and eventually became the creative director of the magazine. In 2008, I had been there for about seven and a half years total. So when I became the creative director, it was right after the, the financial crash of 2008. I'd been kind of waiting to, to, get, to take the reins and become the creative director. And when I finally got the position, they cut the budgets drastically because, you know, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was interesting. But yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And at that point, like I said, I'd been there for around seven years, seven and a half years. And I was starting to feel a little tired of the corporate world. Publishing and the, the corporate part of publishing was something that I really, it was just, it was just not my cup of tea. I found that as the creative director, I, I was envisioned that I'd have complete creative control. That was the exact opposite of the situation. Oh, that's so, so surprising. Yeah. Yeah. It was surprising to me too. And disappointing and frustrating because I really had a vision and I, I, I who didn't grow up with Essence Magazine in their home mm -hmm. and to, to be in such a kind of privileged position to be the creative director, I was excited. And I, I wanted to create images of Black women and, and shoot us in a way that we hadn't been shot up to that point. But when you have to answer to the corporate upstairs, mm -hmm. they have different ways and, and metrics and things that they measure. Try to like, don't, don't do it this way, do it this way. This way we'll sell more magazines. And so that, that was tough. But I loved working at Essence. It was a family of amazing, talented women. It was just so exciting to be on the train coming from Brooklyn, going into Manhattan and seeing Black women read the magazine, you know, that I had created and my covers and reading the stories and I was like trying to see like, were they really engaging with it? Did they flip the page? So that, that was great. <laughs> it was a really, really great time in my, in my creative career. But I felt like getting tired and of, like I said, the corporate environment. And I always wanted to work for myself. And so I started to like kind of daydream about, okay, what's next? Financial crash. At that time, they were saying publishing was dead and dying and it was going to like disappear. And so I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. I left the position. I think everyone thought I was crazy. I think some people thought I got fired because who would just voluntarily leave a full-time position as a creative director? But I, I did. And I had thought about it. Well, I have a question for you in terms of a graceful exit, because it seems like you're really good at that. <laughs> have you thought about, <laughs> well, but have you thought about what it is that helps you identify when you need to say deuces? I'm sorry. It's like, like well, how do you, deuces. because it's. There have been some deuces. There have been some deuces for sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm a Taurus. And so we're determined in a certain way. <laughs> we can take a lot and then 
that we can't take it no more. I've just always been really driven to do what I want to do. I don't know how else to say it. And I, I don't think I've ever said it that way out loud, but it's like, you know, I got this thing in my head and I can't let it go. Up until that point, in terms of my creative career, I had always told myself that I would follow what really interested me. So I wouldn't go for a job because it was a lot of money or I wouldn't go for a job because it was a lot of prestige. I wanted to go where I felt real genuine interest and then I could really bring something to it. So my next question for you is you went from Essence and then you freelanced once again. You started mm -hmm. freelancing once again. Yes. But at what point during the freelance did you turn to printmaking? Because this is what you do now. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, Lisa, going on your LinkedIn and looking at what you've written on your LinkedIn and hearing the story, there are so many gaps. <laughs> it's yes. so much. It's, <laughs> it's so that, good. It's, it's intentional because I don't, yes. know how to, I don't know how to put all that in the LinkedIn, you know? <laughs> and once I, once I made the tr transition to being a full-time artist, I really was like, how much of this is even relevant anymore? Exactly. So that, that's, that's a good point. So it definitely was something I had to consider and struggle with in terms of like how to present myself on a, on a, a platform like LinkedIn. Yes, I, I've had, um, have had many jobs and, and many incarnations as a creative person. When I was at Essence in the beginning, I worked on a lot of photography, art directing a lot of photography around food and home and interiors. And so that was there, that seed was there. So as I left Essence, Obviously, I had to to continue to support myself, so I started freelancing. That went on for probably a good another eight years of freelancing. I always say at pretty much every woman's service magazine, I do all the publishers: Hearst, Condé, Rodell, and probably a few others I can't even remember right now. I took that freelance kind of lifestyle where you know you could work for a month for a magazine and then maybe have two weeks off before you started the next one. And in those two weeks, I would kind of do my own thing. And freelancing also allowed me to continue to make a good living, but also allowed me to not have to emotionally or mentally feel tied to a, to a permanent position. So once I was no longer trying to build that portfolio, so to speak, I could just, you know, I would freelance and, you know, you want me to work on this section or that, that I'll do it. I didn't have to invest as much of myself in freelancing as I would a full-time job. So, you know, office politics, I didn't have to get involved in that, those types of things. So I just started taking different classes in things that interested me. I had taken screen printing at Pratt as an elective, and I always liked the medium. I liked the the quality of the the finished product on printmaking. It appealed to me for, for those reasons, but I wasn't quite sure, you know, it was all, it was all kind of like, just kind of like uh, allowing myself to kind of stumble and just follow things that I really was, was interested in. And so I took, I took printmaking for textiles specifically. I took a letterpress class. At one point I thought maybe I'll do greeting cards, start a greeting card company. I'll use that as an example. So, okay. I said, okay, I'm going to do greeting cards. I took a deep dive into what does that look like? Uh, immersed myself in learning everything about the industry. I went to trade shows, talked to other uh, artists and designers who were doing it, just try to figure out, is this something I really want to do? And so through that exploration, I was like, no, I don't want to do that because there were things about the business side of it that really didn't appeal to me. So, okay, maybe move on to something else. And then 
at one point I thought, okay, I'm going to start my own textile company. I love textiles. And that probably comes from being a child and, and sewing with my mother and going to fabric stores with her and just really getting into that. So, okay, textiles, let me look into the textile industry. What does that mean? And went to the trade shows, you know, really immersed myself in that. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do that either. I was like, I don't want to do that. And I think the part that, that turned me off with having a textile company specifically, or, you know, making like a, a, a product, like a pillow. At one point I thought I would do pillows was that I, I, you have to come up with designs every year. You have to market them. You have to have inventory. You have to do these trade shows. Are you doing wholesale, retail, all of that? I was like, I don't want to do any of that. You know, I want to be creative. I just want to make. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So then I took some more classes. And eventually my husband and I, when we, when we first got together and started dating, we, I actually met him at Pratt. And he was a painting major and we maintained a friendship after Pratt and he had always had an art studio and I would go visit him and he, he was, he used screen printing also. He was a screen printer. And so, you know, over the years I'd say, oh, his name is Kyle. And I'm like, Kyle, I want to do this little project. Can you help me print this? And so we would do that in his studio. So we eventually started dating. I was freelancing at the time and I showed him remember one time he was at my apartment and I showed him all of these kind of visual ideas that I had been sketching over the years since I had left Essence, whether it was going to be for textiles or it was going to be for greeting cards. And I just showed him this like collection of, of stuff, this like portfolio of, of works I had been, little bits and pieces. And he looked at it, he's like, oh my God, like, he's like, this is so much. You could do anything with this. He's like, this is like, it like you like you've done all this work like this is amazing he's like you know we, we could we could screen print some of this stuff if you want to do textiles for instance we could we could screen print the fabric for you to make pillows or whatever you want to make in my studio that's what I started doing and eventually as our relationship developed into we got married obviously he kept encouraging me to keep exploring keep working through screen printing to, to see myself not necessarily as a designer, but to see myself as an artist and to see that what I was doing was I was creating art. And if I was kind of turned off by the business side of different types of creative businesses, say, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have to deal with that if I presented myself as an artist. And so that's that's what I decided to, to try and pursue. Yeah. This is almost like a mini masterclass on creative exploration because yeah, I think I, I definitely allowed myself to explore yeah I mean you but you didn't just explore you really went deep you went to trade shows and I don't think I've I have talked to anyone who has explored to this depth before so I really appreciate that dedication so then to follow the story so you start you establish yourself as an artist and yeah. you start creating these pillows and then you moved to prints? Well, I, before I really considered myself an artist, I was pursuing the, the textiles and the, making the pillows. So once I realized that I don't want to make pillows, I don't want to have inventory of pillows, I don't want to sell pillows, and I don't want to do anything. And so I was kind of left with, okay, what am I going to do? And so he, that's when he was kind of saying, well, yeah, just, just make the prints, make them as prints, you know, take the designs 
you know, these graphic compositions that I had been creating. And he's like, make them as art prints. So I was like, okay, I'll try that. That's how the distinction between kind of pursuing a business where I was making a product versus pursuing being an artist started. And I remember I was always really apprehensive about calling myself an artist or even seeing myself as an artist because I had spent all my life thinking of what I wanted to do was graphic design and had gone to school for graphic design. And that was my career, graphic design. What is an artist? What's the difference? Being an artist is like this other thing that that's not me. And it's scary. Call yourself an artist. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. And I remember he's like, yes, yes, do it, do it. And I I remember I created a, a business card for myself and I was like designing it and it came with this great design and I was typing in, had to put in what, who am I? What am I? And I was like, am I going to say I'm a graphic designer and artist? Am I going to say I'm an artist? And I was like, okay, put artist in there. I put, typed in artist and I was like, oh my God, I'm so, I I don't know if this is something I want to do. I don't know if I can commit to this. This is very scary. And I called my husband and I said, okay, I put artist. He's like, yes. And so I put artist on my business card and I remember feeling and and knowing that that was a moment where I was committing myself to to being an artist and uh, you know the rest is history the rest is another long journey of trying to figure out what what does that look like what does that mean for me you know what type of artist am I going to be what is my medium what are the themes what what am I trying to do all those things like that and that's what I still every day am kind of (laughs) <laughs> grappling with and dealing with in my work. And that is, that is what it is to be an artist. I, I think I just want to talk about your, how your approach has changed because you are, I, I know that you first called yourself an artist, but now you're calling yourself a visual artist, which is in a slight difference. And one of the things I want to talk about is how your approach has changed. So you've reinvented your approach from prints to collages and you did I know that you did you recently did a collaboration where you have you offered wallpaper and an interview I read or maybe it was a podcast interview I forget which where you talked about you want to do huge prints next I would just love to know about that journey and how you came to play with pattern and texture and how you use that through that journey Absolutely. You know, pattern in particular has has been something that I've always been drawn to, even when I was younger. As a as a child, I remember, like I said, I, you know, I was really quiet and shy, and I would kind of always be in my own head, you know, daydreaming about different things, you know, observing my environment. And because we moved a lot, I think that had a big influence on me being so shy. Just kind of like I said, kind of stepping back and observing my environment. And so I would do, I I realize now, I didn't realize it then, that I would catalog shapes in my mind. It could be anything from, you know, the logo on the cereal to the pattern on the curtains in our, in our kitchen. And I would just kind of like catalog them and, and, and then play with them in my mind and put them together and match them and, you know, mismatch them. So it was something that I was always kind of doing innately and realized later on as I started creating my own art that that was something that I was always drawn to naturally pattern repetition graphic bowls those are things that always I'm drawn to naturally instinctively I don't even know why and I don't 
feel like I need to kind of understand it. I allow myself to just be drawn to it and, and play with it and see what happens. But yeah, I, I, I made, I feel like I, I didn't, I don't know if I made a switch, but I feel like I can allowed myself to be open to different ways of allowing my art to be out in the world. So for instance, when I did the collaboration with Lori Weitzner, she came to me, she had seen an interview I did in Lux, Lux magazine. And I think in that interview, I talked about my journey to becoming an artist and, you know, thinking about textiles, textile wallpaper was something that I had considered, you know, my, my work is very graphic. Like I said, it's a repeat pattern. So it kind of lends itself naturally to be, you know, a nice wallpaper. So that's how that collaboration was born. And that was super exciting because I could have textiles and I could, I could have wallpaper and Lori Weitzner, what she's able to do in terms of materials and very beautiful finishes and that, that kind of thing. Part of the business, I could let my art be up there and apply to those things without having to be the person in charge of it, so to speak. So yeah, and I have other collaborations coming up too in the in the spring that I'm really excited about. So I'm excited about that as well to <laughs> kind of take a peek. So this this question coming up, I'm really curious about because in past interviews, you've mentioned that your work as a creative director has helped you in promoting your artistic work. Are there some tips that you could share with our listeners on how to promote themselves and how to think about their career and keep that engine going? The world changes so quickly now in terms of marketing and getting yourself out there from Instagram to TikTok to And it's hard to keep up. So when I probably said that, it was probably a different way of of thinking about it than it is now. But I think being a creative director in terms of creating my own website and being a a graphic designer and knowing type, topography, layout, you know, knowing those ways of creating something that is visually inviting to someone was something that I had been kind of wrestling with. So for instance, I'd say, you know, as an artist, it doesn't mean that you necessarily know how to how to do those types of things and maybe you would hire someone to to do your website or that kind of thing or deal with the photography but I had you know many many years of professional photography and so and directing it and knowing what to look for and you know how to color correct and all those things so that part of you know that part of my creative life definitely came in handy in terms of tips you know I don't know I don't even have TikTok on my phone so I don't know (laughs) I don't know what tips I could give that apply to right now, how people put themselves out in the world. I think one thing I, I will say this, it is important to keep with the TikToks and the, you know, the changes in Instagram and, you know, all the other mediums and ways of promoting yourself. It's, it is really important to keep up with those things because it's constantly changing and it is a huge opportunity to get yourself out there. And in terms of Instagram, which is the main way I kind of market myself, it's just, Keeping up with the medium, understanding how the algorithm works, posting, engaging with people who are engaging with you, you know, and, and these are things that you could Google that and, you know, there'll be a list of ways to kind of put yourself out there. So my tip, my personal tip would be just to keep up on that and to research that and to understand how to really use the different platforms and mediums to your advantage. That, that would be my number one tip for sure. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And I received your newsletter last week. Um, yes. And I thought that was a beautiful 
very very straightforward and just a beautifully done newsletter so no, people could you. also just follow what you're doing and kind of learn from there as well yeah absolutely well lisa i think we've come to our time together i really want to thank you for being so gracious in sharing your story i've learned so much and learned all the things that you haven't <laughs> talked about in past interviews so I'm really pleased that this this podcast interview will offer something a little bit different in terms of your journey and your process thank you so much for being with us thank you Martine thank you for the opportunity for sure Oh, you're the second person I've interviewed who's from Maplewood, New Jersey. And I'm like, is Maplewood, New Jersey a thing? <laughs> it is. You know, actually, it is. There are a lot of uh, people who uh, move from Brooklyn specifically, but from New York here because it's, it's, it's a really short commute to get back into the city. So, for instance, my husband still uh, works in the city. He's working remotely since the pandemic, but you know, his office is based in New York and the, to get to New York midtown is about 40 minutes on the New Jersey oh, wow. transit. So it is, it's uh, attractive for people who are looking to get out of city living and um, buy a house. So, but well, it was more affordable, not anymore. So yeah, I think there, there are quite a few uh, creatives here, artists, designers, hmm. um, people in TV, movies, et cetera, who live in Maplewood. Yeah. It's nice. We love it. Mm, we love good it. to know. Yeah.